Thankful to be back uh, in the Lord's house once again. It's already been said, but I, I just want to say again thank you for your hospitality and the good food. And um, We've had fried fish, I think, four times now because we wanted it. We have no fresh fish in Tennessee, and uh, tonight was the best of the four times, so thank you. Brother Brent, Sister Michelle, and, and everybody else who has taken part in making my uh, stomach feel so welcome in Oregon. I appreciate that. Hi, Leah. I wondered where you were. I, I wanted all of you children, listen to me for just a minute. The back, Sophia, you too. Sometimes when we preachers get up and preach, it sounds like we're mad or scary or, or, or we're trying to make you do something. And I want you to know when God talks to your heart and He lets you know you need to pray, your brain might tell you it's scary or you might even feel scared, but really praying to God's the most natural thing. He made us to pray to Him. Amen. So when you know you need to, don't be afraid. I want you to think about that all the rest of the week. And if you need to pray tonight, pray. If you need to pray in your home, in your bed, pray. In your car, pray. Wherever God speaks to your heart, pray. And it's nothing to be scared of. Sometimes people think, and this is addressed to all of us, I hear this phrase, hell, fire, and brimstone preacher. I'm not really sure what that means. I've never seen brimstone or hellfire. We get these ideas that certain modes of delivery or certain mechanisms will scare people into heaven. It doesn't work. And those of you who don't know me, I'm not afraid to preach the hard gospel. I will. I'm not afraid to raise my voice when I need to. I will. But we have these ideas that certain things are what makes people pray. And the only thing that makes people pray is not a thing at all. It's the living God in the form of His Holy Spirit. Amen. I want to read you something. I wasn't sure if I would, but, and I want you, you children to keep listening. I wrote this, this is a poem I wrote about when God first showed me who He was. And I was nine, and uh, this is about how I felt. And I want you to just listen. If you don't listen the rest of the night, I hope you do. But listen to this part especially. It's called The Last Sacrifice. He's been preparing for it since the first words exploded into a void so dense we call it infinity. Words that sound like, let there be light. Words that mean, man has free will. But what did that sound like? Sadness welling up in the very eyes of God and dripping fast and hard enough to drown the earth? In the garden, the serpent, a salesman who's just finished sharpening his tongue, father to the hens and Hitlers and Osteens of the world, wearing his best suit, strolls in, and in an Al Pacino voice says, it's only forbidden because it tastes so good. 
And the first people taste the first death and need the first sacrifice, blood to cover their sins, skins to cover their nakedness, and lambs are slain on altars for 4,000 years. And in the garden he prays, Abba, Father. And on the last altar, the last lamb prays, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. He could call 10,000 angels, but he trades my name for his. And I, at nine, sit alone in my seat. The preacher's words still ring and pierce. My heart crushed like granite in a quarry. The fist of death clenching my throat. God's terrible love rising in my eyes. That's how I felt when I was nine. God's love felt terrible to me. Because it was scary. Because my, who I was at that time, I couldn't uh, peacefully receive God's love until I recognized that there was something in the way of me being able to receive His love. And that was my own broken self. And I had to feel that brokenness and embrace it and repent and trust the Lord before I could have that peace. That's what I want to talk to you about tonight. Not only before you're saved, but after you're saved. I want to talk about the transformational power of Christ. And before we can even talk about the transformational power of Jesus for His children, we have to recognize that first there has to be a birth. There was a very wise man named Nicodemus, a teacher of the Jews. John chapter 3, you can read about him. He came to Jesus secretly at night, and he came and talked to him, and he addressed him as a good master, and he recognized he was so not only intelligent but wise and knew the Scriptures. And he said, basically, what do I have to do to go to heaven? And Jesus told him, you have to be born again. Nicodemus is a grown man who's very smart, very intelligent, very studied, and he asked a question that seems ridiculous, but it was honest-hearted. He said, how can that be? Should I enter again into my mother's womb and be born a second time? And Jesus said, you're a ruler of Israel and you don't know these things? Don't be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. And then he explained to him how his spirit works. He said, just like the wind moves wherever it wants to, the Spirit of God moves wherever he chooses, and you can't tell where he comes from or where he goes, but you know he has moved, and that is just how it is. Everyone is born of the Spirit in that way. And so again, children or anybody else who doesn't yet have peace with God, when he speaks to your heart, and you may start to feel your throat clenching up and you might start to feel your heart pounding and your tears come in your eyes and it feels like God's terrible love. When you feel that way, don't rely on your mind to figure it out. Just fall down before the Lord and ask Him to help you. You can't figure it out in your mind because it's not a mind problem, it's a spiritual problem. Your spiritual state is broken because of what happened in the garden. And until you surrender to the Lord, it can't be put right. The first thing that must happen before there can be any transformation in our lives is that we must come to know God. I've been trying to preach a while now. I've talked to a lot of people about the Lord and listened to a lot of people talk about their version of God. 
And it amazes me how few Christians identify a spiritual birth. I thought about this a while back and I want to mention it tonight. It would be like if you were growing up and you got around 10 or 11 or 12 years old and you recognized that every year your friends have this party. You've never heard of it, but you notice they have a party and there's balloons and maybe there's pinatas, maybe there's cake and ice cream. And finally you figure out what's going on. You talk to them, you ask them what's going on. You say, I'm celebrating my birthday. That's what they tell you. And so maybe at 10 or 11 years old, you go to your mom and you say, my friends are talking about this birthday. What is that? And the mom tells you, oh, honey, don't worry. You've always been alive. You've always been a human. You, you, you didn't have a birthday. That seems silly, right? Because we all come into the world, we're born, and it's something we celebrate. It is a tangible moment in time when we go from being inside of another person, our mother, out into the world, and our own living, breathing human organism alive on our own. And there's that moment when a child is born, when they take their very first breath on their own. Jesus tells Nicodemus in ways that he understands and he's thinking about the natural birth. And Jesus says, when translation says you must be born again, the word, the Greek word anathen means from above. You must be born from above. Now, I'm not trying to be mean to you. I'm not picking on your testimony if you don't talk. But listen, the very foundation of everything that Scripture teaches about coming to know God is that it starts with a spiritual birth. Just like a child who, who never actually was born out of his mother's womb, he's never going to have a birthday. Because he's still in that state of never having taken his own breath as a living human in this life. And until, as a person, until God lets you know you're separated from Him and you surrender to Him, and something happens inside of you that I can't tell you about and nobody else can tell you about because it's personal, it's internal, it's subjective to you. We can watch what it looks like happened. But on the inside, it happens to you and only you really know. You know whether you have had a spiritual birth with God or not. That is the foundation of everything. Jesus said, what will it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? My heart breaks over all of my friends that, for whatever reason, I've been surrounded since high school with these very nice, good religious people who do all kinds of wonderful things. And many of them, I'm not judging the condition of their soul. I'm speaking what the Scriptures teach is true and comparing it to what they tell me. Many of them have no concept of a birth experience with God. And they'll even tell me, well, I've just been a Christian all my life. The gospel call is a call to active repentance. 
And you can't do that until you recognize what you're repenting for. You have to be old enough. Now, there's not a certain age, but there's an age when you realize that you're separated from God and you're a sinner, and the only thing you can do is ask Him to help you. That happens for different people at different ages. I was nine years old when I first realized and became accountable for my sins and had an opportunity to repent. Before that, I was fine. I was not responsible yet for my sins because I had not come to a state of spiritual awareness that I could repent for who I was. The very foundational doctrine of the whole New Testament and really all of Scripture is that God has made a way for mankind, women, children, all of us, individually, to have a spiritual birth with Him where we become new creatures. You're not the same after that. I love hearing people's testimonies because they talk about the different person they were before and after. And for me, I'll just tell you a little bit of mine. I was nine when the first time the Lord let me know I was separated from Him and it felt like that terrible love of God that was so scary. And immediately, one person from the church came over to me. They felt impressed by the Lord too. I have no doubt of that. And they said, Josh, do you need to pray? And I lied and said no, because I was scared. And for the next five years, I was in this cartwheels in my mind, overanalyzing everything, thinking about what was going on, trying to figure it out. Honestly, trying to make deals with God, trying to con Him sometimes. The day the Lord saved me, it happened so differently than I expected. But there were a couple of characteristics that I think are present in every person's conversion. I had no doubt that I was completely undeserving of God's mercy. I had brokenness. And there came a point, whatever words I said up until that point, there came a point where my heart basically threw up its hands and said, Lord, you have to do this. You have to help me. I surrender. I said a lot of other things, but there came a point when I gave up and stopped trying to make it happen. God has commanded you to repent. That is something you have to do. You can't just passively sit in your seat and in your heart and repent. You may not have to come to an altar. You might not have to bow where you are, but your heart is going to actively seek the Lord. That's what repentance is. But there comes a time, even in repentance, when you go as far as you can. And God's grace takes over and His mercy you experience and you say, Lord, you have to help me. That's the beginning of life. And when I was 14, the Lord saved me. I happened to be on my face in a puddle of tears and snot. I was. Broken. And this little boy who was too proud to pray in front of people. You know, I used to actually think in my mind... I don't want those people to see me crying. I cry all the time now. It doesn't bother me anymore. Usually when I'm happy. I don't cry very much when I'm sad. (laughs) Sometimes when I'm burdened. 
But all of my preconceptions about how it would happen and what God could do for me, they were all out the window and all I cared about was I have got to get this burden off of me. I've got to do something about this brokenness and I went toward the only one who could help me, Jesus, and found myself just on my face, flat on my belly, in front of who knows who. I didn't care anymore. At one point, I remember this woman coming by. I'd been praying a long time, and I guess I ran out of things to say and was just sitting there for a minute. And I remember her coming by and patting me on the back and saying, Oh, honey, you were so nice and polite. I had no idea you were lost. (laughs) Hey, manners don't impress God. Children, you can have all the good manners you want. You can say please and thank you and be kind and open doors and, and watch out for your little brother or sister. That doesn't make you a good person. It makes you a well-trained little human, but not good in the sight of God. And you may trick the people around you. I did. I had the game down. I would hold the songbook up. I would sing. I would act like I was okay. And some people really bought it. But God didn't. He kept knocking on my heart. He kept pounding on my heart. That burden got heavier and heavier. It got harder and harder to breathe. Until finally... It was too heavy for me to carry. I just fell down before the Lord. When God saved me, I had a little girlfriend. I don't know why I had a girlfriend at 14, but I did. And, uh, and I thought I loved her. And I remember one of the first things I thought when God saved me was, I didn't even know what love was. I mean, what he put inside me when he saved me, it wasn't dramatic. It was calm and peaceful. But it was so much more real than anything I had ever felt that I realized all these things I thought were love weren't. And I want you to know, as as the start of this message, that is the beginning of God being able to transform your life into the kind of life that can live in this broken, sad, heavy, messed up world and actually be happy. I mean, when I step back, if I watch the news, I don't, I don't even have a TV. But if I were to watch the news, it's so depressing. And if I step back, I work in, a, in, a, in an industry that's kind of like, um, well, everybody's broken. All my customers are broken. And that can get too heavy too. And it can make you cynical. And if I were to step back and just look at all the brokenness and the problems around me, my mind would conclude, I don't see how anybody can be happy in this world. I mean, honestly. But then God makes a way for us to actually be happy in this life. Joyful. And to love living here. Do you know, as much as I want to see Jesus and see what heaven is like, I am not in a hurry to go there. I have no desire to leave this life. I really don't. I hear older people in their 80s or 90s sometimes talk about wanting to die and go be with the Lord. I can't even relate to that. Because God has transformed my life and continues to transform my life in such a way on this earth that I actually like living here. And I'm not in a hurry to leave. Oh, there's hard times. Don't get me wrong. There's times of brokenness and heaviness and despair and times that I'm at the absolute end of myself. 
But you know what? Those times, just like when God saved me, I go to Him, I throw myself on Him, I say, Lord, you have to help me, and He renews inside of me, He transforms me some more. That's what I'm going to try to talk to you about tonight. Romans 12. Romans 12, I'll read verses 1 through 3. I always like to give a little bit of context. Paul begins this 12th chapter, and he is thinking back on these other 11 chapters that he's written. And he's basically saying, in light of everything I've just explained to you about the doctrines of Christ, in light of God's salvation, in light of His judgment, in light of the opportunity for you to repent, in light of His forgiveness, in light of the mercy that we find in Jesus, in light of all of this, Paul says... I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith." And he goes on and talks about the different members of the body and how different people have different jobs. And I want to take just a moment as an encouragement to this congregation and tell you each one of you has a purpose and a place in this church. And even you visitors, you have a place in this service tonight. Your place might be to listen and ponder and think on the things. It might be if you need to repent, it might be that. It might be to pray It might be to talk to somebody if God puts that in your heart. And as a church functions as a living, breathing organism, as a body, with Jesus Christ as the head, every member is different. You know what? None of you need to try to be like Brother Jason. You ladies don't have to be Sister Sandra. If you're not really a great cook, you don't have to be like uh, Sister Vicky or Sister Michelle. I mean... There are different jobs for different people who are good at things. God has gifted you in a certain way to exercise your talents, your abilities for Him. And sometimes it's a shame that we get in our minds these ideas that we're less of a help to God if we're not like that other person. That's not what He wants. Verse 3, I'm, I'm kinda, I want to go backwards and hit some of these points and then get to the meat of what's on my heart. He says, through the grace given unto me, not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think soberly. Do you know, there's this, um, I don't understand it, there's this strange doctrine in religion, especially among missionary Baptists, that God actually wants you to be stupid and poor. And that's the best way to serve Him. I don't understand that a doctrine. And if it hasn't infected y'all, I'm really thankful for that. Because that's the opposite of the truth. Here, Paul is explaining how we should relate in our own estimation of ourselves. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. You know what that tells me? There should be a certain amount of self-awareness that you have. 
You should recognize what you're good at. I recognize I'm only about five foot nine and I'm not that big and strong. I recognize that. I recognize the limitations of my health due to different things I've been through. I have to recognize that. I also recognize I'm a pretty good speaker. I don't have to stand up here and have some kind of false modesty and pretend that I can't talk to people or that I have stage fright. I don't. That is not thinking of yourself more highly than you ought to think. But you know what I also recognize? It doesn't matter how comfortable I am in front of people until God comes and empowers my words with His Spirit. It's not preaching. And I don't like giving religious speeches. It's miserable to try to do that. I don't like it. I want to preach in the power and demonstration of the Spirit which takes God. So each one of us, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but think soberly. Recognize what you're capable of, but recognize that true spiritual worth of any kind comes through the power of God. In the second verse, he says, don't be conformed to this world. But be transformed. I love the contrast between those two words. The conformed is a pressing in, a surrounding, a holding down. When you become conformed to the world, you are being held back and down and less and smaller than God wants you to be. You're not growing. You're not expanding. You're not able to breathe deeply like He wants you to. You're not able to love like He wants you to because you're, you're, everything's just being held in. That's what conformed means. You put uh, water into an ice tray and it conforms to that mold and freezes and that's the shape that it is until something from the outside acts on it and changes its composition. You know what it takes? Some heat. Something hotter than the freezing point of ice to come along and melt it and change its form back into something that can move around. When you become conformed to this world, you're put into the mold of the people and the things around you and you can't be active and you can't move and you can't serve and you can't love like God wants you to. And it takes something hotter than yourself to come along and melt you. It might be a brother or a sister who's closer to the Lord at the time. And that's why it's so important in the service of the Lord, in the congregation, for people to speak from the heart when God moves you to. Sometimes that is the very thing that gets the attention of somebody who's not saved yet. You need that heat, which really is the Holy Spirit, to come and melt the cold conformity of your flesh. And when He does, He gets you back into a pliable, we might say liquid form, (laughs) that God can mold into something that He can use. And instead of being conformed to the shape and mold and fashion of this world, you can be transformed. Conformed is like this, pushing in, holding down, pressing. Transformed, oh man, it's... If you're listening to this recording or you can't see my my hands, it's just growing. It's, 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 It's a... Oh, you get out of the mold. That's what being transformed is about. Paul explains that this comes as a result 
of offering our bodies to God as a living sacrifice, which are holy and acceptable to Him, which is our reasonable service. That is a seeming contradiction. A sacrifice, by necessity, dies. That's the whole point. And yet, Paul is telling us that the whole purpose of the Christian life is to offer our bodies to God as a living sacrifice. How can we do that when a sacrifice dies? He wrote in another place, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. That's the answer. It's through the mercy of Jesus, it's through the faith of Jesus, it's through the grace of Jesus that you can present your body as a living sacrifice. In fact, without His grace, you're not going to know what it's like to be alive at all. A lot of people take this scripture and use it to try to, um, in a well-intentioned way, impose on the listener some type of uh, sanctification you need to do to yourself. That's not what this is talking about. Being transformed, and I'm going to explain this before I get done with the message. Being transformed by the power of God is not what you think sanctification is. Trust me. I'll show you. We have this idea that we should be saved, we should go along, we should get better all the time, and the old things that used to tempt us, pretty soon they don't tempt us at all, and next thing you know, we're not affected by anything. Because we've come to such a place of closeness to the Lord. If you read about David, the man God selected because he had a heart that was after him, he fell like few people fall. He became a murderer. He stole a man's wife. That's where he ended up after being so close to the Lord and writing all those psalms. What is the point? Any of us at any time can fall. We should always beware. Sanctification doesn't prevent you from sinning. Just like we have to rely on God to be saved and on His mercy and trust in Him, we have to live our lives as saints in the very same way. I'm not saying we shouldn't try. I'm not saying there are sins we should leave behind. Of course there are. And when God saves you, especially if you're old enough to realize it, He starts to witness to your heart which sins you need to leave behind. Some of you may know or have heard of Brother Paul Owusu. He is um, a preacher in Ghana. And I would consider him a very wise, spiritual man. I don't know anybody else who has been kidnapped by witches, held captive, and he understood enough of the language they were speaking that he heard them talking about cutting off his head and using it in one of their potions. I, I don't know anybody else personally who's been through something like that. He knows about spiritual warfare. He knows about the powers of darkness, and he knows about the spiritual power of God. We were talking one day, and he was telling me about, especially when he was younger, not so much now, but especially when he was younger, there's a cave not too far from his house, maybe within a day's journey, and he said he would go there sometimes for three days to pray. And so I've heard his stories, I've heard him preach, I've seen the power of God on his life, 
And I, and I come to him and I say, Brother Paul, <laughs> tell me about this praying for three days. And in my mind, I didn't even realize it, but I had this idea, you know, oh, my spiritual African brother, tell me the great way to God. You know, you found the way, let me know. And you know what he said to me? He said, sometimes, Brother Josh, I go there for three days and I'm not even able to pray. He said, you have to realize even prayer is the grace of God. You never arrive. And I think one of the most damaging things that sincere Christians do, and this applies to some of us, one of the most damaging things we can do is present an image of ourselves as having arrived. Be like me. There's a time that that might be appropriate, but most of the time, I'm hopelessly, helplessly dependent on the Lord even now. The more you grow in the more the more you grow in the Lord, the more you realize how much you need him. When I was a younger Christian, I frequently prayed things like this, God help me be a light, help me be a witness. Show me what you want me to do. Those were sincere prayers, they weren't wrong. But a few years down the road, you know what I find myself praying? God, you have to help me. The end. Like not even a request, but a statement of truth. You have to help me. I can't do this without you. I'm less concerned about my image than I was when I was younger. I'm less concerned what any of you think because you know what I realize? My reputation is not going to save anybody. What you think of me is not going to save you. The only one who can save you is Jesus. And if it takes me being abased so he can be exalted, my flesh still doesn't like it. (laughs) But I'm okay with it. So it's by the mercies of God that we present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service. And he says, be not conformed to this world. I've talked about that already. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Who who are you proving it to? Yourself. It's not about what anybody else thinks. It's about when you go home at night and nobody's there but you and God and you're alone in your bed on your pillow. Do you have peace with Him? Have you let go of your grudges of the day? Have you forgiven people you need to forgive? Have you... You know what forgiving is? And this is for the saved. It's... Letting go of your claim, your right to see that person punished. That's what forgiveness really is. You deserve punishment and I want to watch it. But I'm going to let go of that. That's forgiveness. You know what? They did something wrong, they'll still get punished. That which a man sows, that will he also reap. You don't have to worry about that. There's a psalm or proverb that says, uh, uh, when your enemy stumbles and falls, don't rejoice lest God turn away His wrath from him. If you really want your enemy to be punished, forgive him so God can deal with him like he wants to. 
The wrath of man does not work the righteousness of God. Be transformed. This word, I want us to spend just a few minutes looking at it. The word is metamorpho, and it's where we get the word metamorphosis. Um, if you look in nature, God has given us a picture of what this word is, how it works. You see uh, a caterpillar metamorph into a butterfly, change from one thing into another. Um, but that doesn't fully capture the word because the way it's used in Scripture has to do with a transfiguration which is situational and not permanent. I want to show you what I mean. And this word is not used that many times in Scripture, so we'll just look at, at each case. One of the places it's used, I've already read in Romans 12 too, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Another place it's used is Matthew chapter 17 and Mark chapter 9. And both of those uh, are an account of the same event on the Mount of Transfiguration. So I'll just read Mark's version of it, because those are the same story. I'll just take a couple moments to read it. Matthew 17, beginning verse 1. This is to help us understand the word transformed, or metamorpho. After six days, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John, his brother, and brings them up into a mountain high apart from everything else. And He was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. And behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elias talking with him. And then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you will, let us make here three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elias. While he yet spoke, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed him, and behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. I'll, I'll touch on the side note of that. But first of all, this second verse, Jesus was transfigured before them. The glowing of his face was not permanent from this point forward. He didn't live the rest of his life with glowing white clothing. This transfiguration is the same exact word that Paul uses, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It is a space of time, it's situational, and it's supernatural, and it's something God does. When Paul says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed, he's saying this only happens in moments through the power and mercy of the Spirit of God. This is not talking about arriving at a place of higher spiritual sanctification than you used to be. This is talking about the grace of God transforming you in that moment into something different than you actually are. And by the way, and you know this is true, that is what makes people want to have what we have is when we're transfigured before their eyes and they recognize there's something different about us. It's not the words we say. It's not the songs we sing. It's not the altar we have at the front. It's not our traditions. It's not our practices. It's not even the Bible we use. It's that they look at us and say, there's something about you that's different. I want that. So Jesus was transfigured just a side note before I go further. Uh, his disciples, they, they don't get it. They're up there 
they are in bodily form experiencing the end of the law and the prophets. Moses, Elisha, and the giver of the new covenant, Jesus, all in one place. And they say, hey, you want us to build three buildings for you? I mean, monuments, memorials, they call it tabernacles. But they're, they're basically, that's what they're saying. They don't understand what's going on. And we look back on that and it seems kind of silly, but I'll say this. Don't be too hard on yourself if you don't understand fully spiritual things. God will reveal them to you in His time if you have a heart that desires that. So there's two places that word metamorpho is used. Transformed or transfigured. As I already said, it's used in Mark 9. I won't read that one since it's the same exact story. It's also used in 2 Corinthians 3. 18, and this is the, the last place it's used in the New Testament. <laughs> I love this. I'll read verse 17 as well. Now the Lord is that Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. The more you behold Jesus, the more you look at His face, the more you focus on Him, the more you are overwhelmed with His attributes, the more you do that with your heart, the more you become transformed reflectively, into something more like the image of Jesus, and through that you become more transfigured into what He is. When Scripture says, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, when it talks about being like Jesus, this is the only way that it's possible, and it's in those moments of spiritual transformation that we become like Christ. The rest of the time, I'm in this annoying, frustrating, messed up, I don't know if y'all feel this way, but sometimes I just, oh, I hate this tabernacle that I'm in. Amen. Especially in traffic. <laughs> or other places that make my temper flare. I mean, it's bad. It's really bad. I'm not trying to be funny. I have to repent about the thoughts I think towards people and the things I want to do to them sometimes. It's not okay. This, this body we're in is never getting any better. You understand that? I think that's where religion misses the point. No matter how close I get to God, this body is not being sanctified. This body is made out of the dirt and it's going to go back to the dirt. This body is going to be destroyed and when God comes back and melts this place with fire, all the elements that compose this flesh are going to be melted. Peter says, seeing then these things are going to happen, what manner of people should we be? I'll tell you what manner of people I want to be, person I want to be, and what I want you to be. I want to be the kind of person who's transformed by the renewing of my mind through looking at Jesus. You know what that means? I'll still be human. That means if you actually know me, there's still things about me you're not going to like. If you think I'm wonderful, you just don't know me that well. We all have things. We all have things about us that aren't okay. 
Paul tells us we all have to appear before the judgment seat of Christ to answer for, listen to this wording, to answer for those things done in our body. Why? Because the body's not us. The body is this tent, this, this, this vessel, this mechanism that we use to do things while we're in this life. And the things you, this is, this is complicated, but it's important. The things you do in this body affect, change that central part of you that goes to heaven when you die or to hell. And every decision you make, every action you commit, it can be forgiven. But the reason it's important to live for the Lord once you're saved is because the things you do with this body have an effect on who you are at your core. And that part of you goes to heaven with you. It makes you into something that I believe. I don't have time to get into this and you may not agree. But if you dig into scripture, I don't know if you could refute it. I think the choices you make in this life can make you more able to enjoy heaven than you otherwise would have been. I think that's part of what it's talking about, that we're going to throw down our crowns at Jesus' feet. That's the whole point. Everything we gain, everything we have is to give to Him. The more we serve Him, the more it makes us want to serve Him. Maybe one of the easiest examples in Scripture, and I won't be a whole lot longer, is actually uh, the passage I was just reading about uh, looking and beholding as in a mirror the image of Jesus being changed into His image. It was talking about Moses coming down from the mountain. He spent 40 days and 40 nights alone in the presence of God. And when he came down, I love this picture from Exodus 34. When he came down, it said he did not know that his face was glowing. You know how you can tell if somebody's really not spiritual? They're telling you how spiritual they are. When somebody is really empowered by the presence of God, they're not even aware. Because they're so focused on other people and on, and on God. They're not telling you about themselves. They're not lifting up themselves. They're not drawing attention to themselves. Moses came down from the mountain and he didn't even know he was glowing with the glory of God. Isn't that amazing? Because he was so consumed with what had been going on. And we see what happened with Moses can also happen with us. He had to put on a veil to talk to the people because his glory was too bright for them. You know when his glory, the glory of God faded, he still kept putting on the veil. He could seem as holy as he was before. He came back down from that transfigured heavenly state. You never arrive. We're not talking about passion. We're not talking about desire. We're not talking about intensity. We're not talking about good works. We're talking about a gift of God, which is a supernatural transfiguration that happens in the moment by His grace. And that's what we should all long for, to happen over and over and more and with longer duration of time. But it's never going to be permanent until we're made into that heavenly body that Jesus has for us. By the way, before I close... Um, the word used for God changing our vile bodies that it should be fashioned like unto His glorious body is a different word. 
metaschematizo. It's a new schematic. It's something totally different. Metamorpho is being transfigured in your current state into the temporary appearance of something better. That other word, when God gives us a new body, it's permanent. It lasts forever. (laughs) If the Apostle Paul meant us to get that, he would have used that word. But the transformation is not permanent. Not in this life. So I want to leave you with just a couple things. First of all, if you're saved, if you have had that kind of spiritual birth that I talked about at the beginning, and you don't feel like you've been transformed in the image of Christ as much as you want to be, first off, don't be too hard on yourselves. Don't be. And those of you who preach to people, don't be too hard on the people. You can't see their hearts. You don't actually know what's going on inside of them. The other thing I want to leave you with is, yes, don't be too hard on yourself. But I also want to tell you, truly seek the Lord that He would put a hunger in you to be transfigured or transformed more into the image of Jesus. And the more He does that to you, the more it will change even what your body does. I told you all just casually I don't have a TV. That's intentional. I don't like it anymore. And that's not because I'm trying to be holier. It's probably because I'm less holy than y'all. It's too much of a distraction for me. When I do have one, I watch it for like 18 hours to veg out and and the, the world's too hard. It's not because I'm better. It's probably because I'm not. But that is part of the result of wanting to have God's presence. When we get transfigured or transformed in those moments by His glory, it's like that song says, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in His wonderful face, and the things of earth will go strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. That's how it is. The brightness of the glory of God, the resplendent glory that those apostles saw of Jesus being transfigured before their eyes is so much brighter than anything in this world. And the more we look at Jesus, we can have glimpses of that transfiguration in our own spirits. And when we do, everything else pales in comparison. It does. I pray this message is a help, an encouragement I pray that for those who might not know the Lord yet, I hope it's, it's also an encouragement and an instruction. And I really meant what I said at the beginning. Don't be afraid to pray. What do you have to lose other than your pride, which is bad anyway? Nothing good comes from pride. Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He's near. That's for people who don't know the Lord yet and for people who do. We don't stop praying just because we find God. That's still how we know Him. That's my message tonight.